Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. So I was like, I told her, I said, you know, the Bible says that when Jesus worked that miracle at Canaan, at the wedding, this was the beginning of miracles. This was the first miracle. What's that saying? Well, either the Bible's wrong or they're wrong. Now, I'm gonna go with the Bible. I have been going with it a long time. I'm pretty sure God got it right. In fact, I'm 110% sure. In today's broadcast, we have part two of Pastor Sam's message, Jesus and Peter. We're taking up in verse 39 of Luke chapter 22, where Jesus heads to the garden to pray and be arrested. We will consider those events right up to where he's delivered up to the Sanhedrin. So let's listen in. He went to the Mount of Olives, verse 39, as he was accustomed. This is important because it's a reminder that well, Jesus went here regularly to pray. Judas had already struck his deal. He'd sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. And Jesus went exactly where he knew Judas would be bringing those soldiers. And by the way, this is the temple guard. We're not yet dealing with the Romans. We're going to see them tomorrow. Well, in our case, next week. But uh, Jesus will be seeing them uh, the next day. But at this point, it's going to be the, the religious leaders who are coming with their own guards to have him arrested. So he goes to a place where Judas knows he'll find him. And his disciples also followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. He'd earlier taught them to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And he's saying, hey, that prayer I taught you to pray, pray it. Pray that you could not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw. And he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, let this cup pass away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. There are really two prayers here. One of the other gospel writers gives it to us like this. If there's any other way, let this cup pass. So important that we process this. If it were possible to be saved through religion, through being a good person, by keeping the law, by, by joining a church, if it were possible to be saved any other way, don't you think the Father would have answered this prayer in the affirmative? He would have said, of course, I'm not going to let you go to the cross. Of course, no. Jesus prays if there's any other way, but there is no other way. And Jesus' second prayer here, not my will, but yours be done. How important is that? And if Jesus prayed it, how important is it that we pray it? As he's praying, we read an angel appeared to him from heaven, verse 43, strengthening him and being in agony. He prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. Remember, Luke's a physician, so he's interested in these kinds of details. We don't get them from the other gospel writers, but, but he has done a thorough uh, researching of the events that happened. And, and so he's given us these details. When he rose from prayer, he came to his disciples. He found them sleeping from sorrow. And he said to them, why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. So here, here we have it. 
the, the disciples, Jesus is saying, hey, can't you just stay awake with me for an hour? Can't you just pray with me for an hour? Well, while he was still speaking, verse 47, Behold a multitude, and he who was called Judas, one of the twelve, went out before him and drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Now think about this for a minute. Jesus has been ministering for three and a half years. He's been up for the feast. You would think by this time they would recognize him. And the fact that Judas needed to kiss him, this was the signal that they prearranged. You'll know which one he is because I'll go into the garden and kiss him. Now, some have said, well, it's dark, it's night. They've got the lanterns and all that. Hey, it's a small group of disciples. And, and Jesus, certainly the leader of them. The point is this. There was nothing outwardly about Jesus that would have caused us to say, oh, he must be the one. And when you hear some people talk about him, you'd think he was seven feet tall or glowed in the dark or had a little halo that floated over his head or angels always hovering to say, here he is, the son of God. It was never like that. Had an interesting experience when, when we were in Egypt. Had a lot of interesting experiences in Egypt. Don't know if I shared this one with you, but, but one of our guides they, they took us to a place where they said Jesus and, and Mary and Joseph had, had visited. Did I share that with you? They, they said that, well, this is one of the places. And, and the Bible does say that when Herod was, you know, put out a contract on, on Jesus, basically murdering all the little baby boys because he couldn't be sure he wouldn't, you know, he wanted to make sure he got Jesus. Well, it was too late. An angel had warned them. Joseph and Mary had gone down to Egypt taking Jesus there. And, and what our guide told us, this was a crack up. She, she said, um, well, th there, there are fig trees here because this is where Jesus and, and Mary and, and Joseph stayed. And she ate figs from this very orchard. And these probably aren't the same fig trees, but you know, they've replanted since then. And I asked her a question. I mean, and I'm not trying to cause trouble, right? I'm just curious. I'm like, how would they recognize them? I mean, did anybody know who Joseph and Mary were at that point? Did anybody recognize Jesus? Of course not. And I'm like, well, where did that idea come from? I mean, that's completely foreign to me. And she said, oh, it's all about the, the miracles. And I'm like, really? What miracles? And she goes, the miracles he worked as a baby. And I'm like, well, I didn't even know he did any of those. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he worked miracles. And, you know, he came out talking. Well, my kids came out crying, but I, I wouldn't recognize any words. And. But, but, but here, here, here's where I'm going. I, I ask her, I go, well, where does that come from? She says, the Koran. Now, I've never read the Koran, so correct me if I'm wrong, but you read it. Well, I'm not saying you got to read the whole thing, but if you know it and you're familiar with it and you're like, oh, it doesn't say that. She said it said it, and, and that's what she reads. So I was like, I told her, I said, you know, the Bible says that when Jesus worked that miracle at Canaan at the wedding, this was the beginning of miracles. This was the first miracle. What's that saying? Well, either the Bible's wrong or they're wrong. Well, I'm going to go with the Bible. I have been going with it a long time. I'm pretty sure God got it right. In fact, I'm 110% sure God got it right. I have all, all of my hope in him. Well, in any case, how did I even get on that tangent? Oh, he went to kiss him. Jesus said, Judas, are you betraying the son of man with a kiss? It was prearranged. When those around him saw what was going to happen, they said to him, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? Now, one of them was wise enough to ask the question. One of them too impatient to wait for the answer. Do I have to even tell you who that's going to be? 
It's interesting that Luke doesn't tell us. Now, he gets his information from other sources. It just says one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. John, by the way, who's in serious competition with Peter, will see it as, well, maybe not this time around, but we may get to deal with that issue. They actually have a foot race to, to get to the tomb when they find out Jesus isn't there. And, and John thinks it's important in the context of the resurrection of Jesus to mention he outruns Peter. That's how competitive these guys are. All the way down to the wire. But we know it was Peter because John says, oh yeah, Peter did it. I'm a witness. I was there. One of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. And Jesus answered saying, permit even this. And he touched his ear and healed him. This is so important. The sign that we bear is not the sword. There are religions with the sword as their symbol. That's not us. Our symbol is the cross. We're to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. And, and this is a picture. This is the last healing prior to the cross. He, he's just saying, listen, this isn't why I told you to bring the swords. And, and uh, you know, he does some amazing things. Not only does he show mercy to the high priest servant, not only does he heal his ear, but he makes sure that if Peter ever goes to court on this, there won't be any evidence that he ever did it. So Jesus says to the chief priests, captains of the temple and the elders who had come to him, have you come out as against a robber? with swords and clubs when I was with you daily in the temple and you did not try to seize me but this is your hour and the power of darkness he's saying you guys you could have gotten me in the temple I've been there every day you wouldn't arrest me there you come out here in the night and arrest me like some common thief or robber but there's more Jesus is not only rebuking those who've come to arrest him He's absolutely in control. Do you know the Bible says, Jesus said, no man takes my life from me. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it up. Again, this command I received from the Father. And so how do we know he's in control? Well, when they come, he asks the question, who are you after? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And we're told they went back and fell down. Now, I've watched cops on TV. You've probably seen it. And, and uh, you know, I've never seen them, you know, ask the criminal's name. And when he answers, and what does Jesus answer? He says, I am. They fall down. Never happens on TV. Why? Because that only happens when Jesus speaks. There's something else, though. Not only couldn't his enemies have arrested him had he not allowed himself to be arrested, but also, well, he tells them, and this is something else that I thought about for a while, is, hey, you just let these guys go. Can you imagine? Have you ever, you know, again, can you even envision a situation where someone's being arrested and their partners are all there with them, you know? And, and, and the one being arrested said, okay, you can take me, but all these guys get to go free. That's not how it works unless you're Jesus. Why? Because even now, Jesus is in control. We are reminded, at least I'm reminded, that these disciples were a lot like us. They are sleeping when they should have been praying. I know that's happened to you before. Like many of us, 
Peter guilty of attacking when he should have been listening, when he should have been obeying. Well, having arrested him, they led him and brought him into the high priest house. Now, we're going to look at the six trials, all of them illegal, by the way, because, well, once he faces the first trial, he should have been let go. He should have never been arrested for the first trial. But we're going to look at all that next time. We'll read the, of the first three here, but that's not the part we're going to develop. It will be the foundation for the, the next three that we'll consider next time. But basically, they take him and we read it here to the high priest house. Now, this is the true high priest. His name is Annas. He is a direct descendant of the other high priest. That means he's coming down in the line of Aaron. But, but there's something else. At this point, he is only, well, he's the real high priest, but he's not acting as high priest because the Romans have decided it would be safer and better not to have someone who they knew was a descendant and a legitimate high priest, but they put his son-in-law Caiaphas in that position. Now, this was actually pretty smart politically because they knew Caiaphas didn't have the same kind of pull. He didn't have the same kind of, uh, he wasn't the same kind of threat. And at the same time, they knew Annas wouldn't do anything about it because Caiaphas is married to, to Annas' daughter. And, and so it's this kind of weird thing. Caiaphas is priest, but he's not eligible to be high priest because he's not in the direct line of these high priests. So this is where they are. It becomes important. That's why I share it with you. He's with Annas. He's going to be going to Caiaphas. Then in the morning, they're going to take him to the full Sanhedrin for the third illegal trial. Well, we read here, Peter followed at a distance. And this does show some moxie on Peter's part. I mean, everyone had forsaken, even Peter, as Jesus said they would, but he's following at least. And when they kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. Now, I would suggest this isn't the best place to be at the enemy's fire. And, and especially knowing that, well, that it's just a setup. It reminded me of when Lot and, and uh, Abraham, their flocks had so um, multiplied that they had to separate. Now, God wanted Abraham separated from Lot anyway, and he did it in a unique way. He gave him so many flocks, there was no way they could stay together. And Abraham, knowing everything was his, say, take whatever you want. Lot looked toward the fertile plains of Sodom, and he moved that direction. He moved toward Sodom. A little later in his story, we find him living in Sodom. And then he actually moves up in Sodom. He's sitting in the gate. He's one of the town elders, as it were. The problem is, once he moved into enemy territory, he put his wife and his family at risk. And everyone who knew him, well, should have known that he was a righteous man. That's what the Bible says. But he was a righteous man who made some very foolish choices. And, and so here's Peter. He's at the enemy's fire. And, and as he sits there warming himself, a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, this man was also with him. But he denied saying, woman, I don't know him. I don't know what was going on in Peter's head here. I've had a few times where I found myself in a situation I thought I'd never put myself in or put myself in again. Maybe you can relate. 
And, and I've, I've heard myself saying something and, and, and then it's like, I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I did that. I mean, I should be smarter than this. I should be further along than this. And, and I don't know that Peter's processing all that, but all things being normal, he should have at least thought, man, I just denied that I knew the Lord. Remember, the Lord said, you're going to deny me three times. That was inconceivable to Peter before the rooster crows. Oh, maybe once, not even once, but three times. Well, after a little while, verse 58, another saw him. You were also, you are also one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed saying, surely this fellow also was with him for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are saying. One of the other gospel writers tells us that Peter was just swearing he didn't know the Lord. And of course, the scriptures tell us we're not to swear by heaven for it's God's throne nor by the earth for it's his footstool. But we're to let our yes be yes and our no be no. Here's Peter swearing he doesn't know the Lord. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. What happens next is recorded for us only by Luke once again. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. If you want to know how that could happen, it's simple. Peter had followed him to the first place of trial, the house of Annas. Now they're leading Jesus from Annas' house to the house of Caiaphas. In the morning, again, they'll lead him from the house of Caiaphas to the full Sanhedrin. And as they're leading him from one house to the other... Peter denies him for the third time. The rooster crows, so he, he hears himself saying it. He hears the rooster crowing. He turns and he looks into the eyes of Jesus. And I've pondered hard and long, what was that look like? Not Peter's, Jesus. I'm pretty sure I know what Peter was looking like. I can't believe it. I can't believe I would do it. I, I mean, I know you told me. I know you warned me. I'm such a fool. I'm such a failure. Maybe you've been there. The deal is what you believe about the Lord, what you know about his character and his nature will determine how you read this passage. Some people read it and they just see disgust, disappointment on the face of the Lord. I can't see that at all. Why would he be disappointed? He told Peter he was going to do it. He knew it was going to happen. He's not surprised. He's not shocked. He's not disgusted with Peter. He knows Peter's a man in process. I got a glorious picture. I've got to scan it and, and get it up on the screen for you sometime. It's, it's my first grandson at one day old. And man, I mean, babies, they're, they're mostly, everybody thinks their baby's cute. And, and most of your babies are real cute. I don't misunderstand, but some of them not as cute as others, let's be honest. And uh, I mean, they look like us. That's a problem, right? But this one-day-old baby, he just looks so perfect and, and, and what he really is, innocent at this point. He hasn't had a sinful thought. He hasn't said a sinful word. He doesn't have to, to repent or ask forgiveness. He just looks perfect. And what God showed me is that's what God sees when we come to Christ. That's why he says, as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you can grow thereby. That's why he says that we're new creatures in Christ. That, that we're born again of his spirit. And so we see people who are just a mess coming to Christ, but he sees perfection. 
the perfection that he imparts and imputes to the one who's new in Jesus. Well, in any case, the Lord looks at Peter and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Let me ask you a question. Is the Lord ever wrong? He never gets it wrong. And so when he warns us, he never warns us unnecessarily. And when we say, well, maybe him, but not me. No, you too. And Peter had to learn. He had to come to an end of himself. Well, Peter went out, we read, or we read, verse 62, and wept bitterly. Well, the men who held Jesus, verse 63, mocked him and beat him. And having blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and asked him, saying, Prophesy, who is the one who struck you? And many other things they blasphemy spoke, blasphemously spoke against them. We're going to come back. This will be the foundation, these trials and the things that happened. And they'll lead us into our next study. But as soon as it's day, the elders of the people, both chief priests and scribes, came together, led him into the council, saying, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will by no means believe. In other words, Jesus knows they're not really wanting to know they're, they're just saying say it because if he confesses he's the Christ they can say then then that's heresy that's blasphemy and so he says and I ask you if I ask you you will by no means answer me or let me go hereafter the son of man will sit on the right hand of the power of God Jesus is saying you know it won't be long I'll be seated at the right hand of the father in heaven that's exactly what he's telling them so they said are you then the Son of God? So he said to them, you rightly say that I am. And they said, what further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own mouth. We mentioned, I think, last time, or recently at least, that there are many who say, oh, Jesus said, Son of God, he never claimed to be God. You know, that's not true. When he said he was the son of God, he was saying he was God the son. And if you don't know it, back in that passage where, where um, they take up rocks to stone Jesus, after he says, before Abraham was, I am, they take up stones to stone him. And he says, for what good work are you stoning me? And they say, not for a good work, but because you being a man make yourself to be God. They understood his claims. Well, all this concludes with Peter denying his Lord. And if that was the end of the story, it would be just a bummer of a story. But we know there's more to it. We'll get to see it. Let me read you one quick thing and we'll bring the worship team up for a last song. Here's what Peter has to say about what you may be going through today or will be going through soon. He, he says, listen, you should greatly rejoice Though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. An interesting thing, as I listen to this message from Pastor Sam, it also happens to be in a season where I seem to be answering the same claim from people who say that Jesus never claimed to be God. 
Now I've realized that everyone that claims Jesus is not God has an agenda to discredit him and thus discredit your faith in him. Is it really important? Yes, it's very important. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you're not only seeking the salvation that only he can offer, but you are agreeing that he is who he says he is and whom the Bible says he is. Now I'll leave you with one other source showing Jesus' claim to divinity. In Isaiah 44, 6, God tells us, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Then in Revelation 22:13, Jesus tells us, And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Well, either Jesus is God, or we have two beginnings and two ends, two firsts and two lasts. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.